listening from around the world. This is the moment you've been waiting for. It's time! And now, introducing the host, a strength and conditioning coach, real estate investor, athlete manager, and amateur food critic. He stands five feet, 11 inches tall, and he's on the road to 185 pounds. Podcasting from around the world by way of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Everyone, welcome to season two of the Road to 185 show. I am your host, Jared Saavedra. Today's special guest, we got Elena Espinosa. Elena is a wealth advisor and now a new entrepreneur in her new role, which she'll talk a little bit about on this episode. You're going to get a lot out of it. She is a breath of knowledge when it comes to finances, and she's going to tell you where you got to put your money into especially in your retirement fund she's she's gonna break it down for you so get your pen and paper out and get ready for the episode what is good elena hey how are you (laughs) i'm glad we finally get to chat sorry for the technical difficulties a little bit how are you doing? Doing that's, all right? That's life. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm actually just, uh, I've been working this California schedule and I'm on the East Coast. So oh, it's been yes. brutal. <laughs> we'll get into that. I want to talk about that transition for sure. But for the people kind of listening and uh, we get to talk about something that I really enjoy talking about and learning about, and that is money. Tell people <laughs> a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into this game that you're in. Sure, sure. So my name is Elena Espinosa. Uh, yeah, I worked for Wells Fargo Advisors, Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, just to name a few. Um, but I'll tell you how I got into it because it's kind of it's kind of crazy. So I went to school at the University of New Mexico in, in Albuquerque, Duke City, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and yep. I actually went to school for psychology and sociology. And when I graduated, I actually became a rehab counselor. So not in finance at all. Right. And that was very fulfilling, but very draining. So I was like, what can I do that can help people? But I also have that work-life balance. And I was like, okay, I could be a banker because they have the best hours and you mm-hmm. know they're helping people with money. So I got mm-hmm. into finance. And the very first job I had, I had no experience. I just kind of sold myself in the interview. I was like, listen, I can sell anything, even if it's fine, because <laughs> it's in, in essence financial sales. So oh, for sure. I, I worked uh, for PNC Bank as a financial consultant, uh, did that for a couple of years. And then I started to learn the ins and outs of the banking system. So the loan process, checking savings, just the beginning, the basics. And then from there, I kind of worked for a few other institutions and worked for Wells Fargo Advisors for a minute. 
for about five years. And I started off as a banker, loan officer, then got fully licensed um, so I could dabble in the investment investment world, um, was a business banker for that aspect for a time too. But I've, for the past seven years, I've been a financial advisor, portfolio manager. And most recently, for the past couple of years, I worked for Merrill Lynch. So one of the big dogs, it's the investment side of Bank of America. So wanted to make sure people had that peace of mind when they came to their finances, mm-hmm. kind of incorporating that with my psychology background. Absolutely. And here I am. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so for am. people that don't know kind of the differences of like a certified financial planner, certified financial advisor, take us kind of through the differences of those. Cause I don't like, to me, I don't know really the differences that much. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of, you know, kind of the general population doesn't as well. Uh, tell us like the different routes you can go with those. Are they the same? What things are different? Sure. Sure. If you're looking to get into the financial advisor field, um, you're going to get licensed and those are FINRA licenses. So there's different types, but one that certifies you as a financial advisor that you can legally get advice. That is going to be your series seven. And so your Series 7 license, you have to you know, actually be sponsored by um, a FINRA member, so a financial institution, so typically all of your banks, um, and they'll sponsor you in order for you to take those tests. Now, recently it has changed, I would say very, very recently over the past couple of years, where you can take a portion of it called the SIE, um, and that way you can take that kind of credit that uh, certification say, hey, I, I tested for the SIE, I passed, will you sponsor me to get my FINRA licenses? So most people who go into the field of financial advising, a bank hires them and they put them through the licensing process. Um, so that's series seven, series six, uh, 66, 63 or 65. When you say sponsor, do you mean like actually pay for the education part or like kind of sign off or both? They pay for it. So it depends on what firm, but most firms, if they're about investing in their employees and you're applying for this position of a financial advisor, they're really looking for maybe recent uh, graduates. And so they will sponsor them to say, okay, we're going to pay you and this is going to be your job eight, you know, nine to five for the next two months. And all you're doing is studying for this exam, because if you don't pass this exam, we can't legally hire you because you can't give advice to clients. And that's what that certification does is to give you um, the legalities to actually give advice uh, to people. And so that covers everybody on every covers everybody's asses to to, mm-hmm. to keep it frank. So yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And so when you kind of intake a client, what would you say are the like the top three questions that you ask them in order to get kind of like their financial, the, the snapshot of it, the, the financial landscape? What, what are three things that you automatically ask? Honestly, it it's different for everyone. It's all situational, but I'll say the biggest thing I ask every client, no matter you know where you are, if you're just starting, if you're about to retire, I ask you what your goal is, because that's going to give me an idea of you know, how we're going to allocate the funds. Are we going to be aggressive? Are we going to be conservative? Because everyone has different goals. So that is mm-hmm. going to be the primary, primary question is, okay, you want to make money? Okay, great. Why? Like, mm-hmm. why are you trying to make money? What are you trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. So essentially I'll ask what's important to them. So 
you know, most, some, most people, it's going to be retirement for a long-term gain. But some people will say, hey, I actually want to put my child through at, uh, school and provide them for the finances for that. That's going to be something completely different. Or some people say, hey, I just want to make money. What's the best way I can do that? And then we'll walk through their risk tolerance, right? So if you're a nervous Nelly, I'm not going to put you all in stocks or an aggressive portfolio because you're going to fire me <laughs> when you see mm-hmm. all of that volatility because you can't stomach it. So uh, the very first thing that I do with, with clients is I just get to know them. Hey, okay, great. What is your objective here? Are you just starting out? I ask them about uh, their cash flow situation because we need to know if you have money to even allocate towards investments or do we need to focus on more of you know, paying off those debts, lowering um, or expanding that budget, saving better. So there's different areas um, to really evaluate where you should go as far as the financial process. So mostly what are the goals, short-term, long-term, mid-term, um, and then, you know, how much funds do you have to allocate towards those goals? And then the risk tolerance. So those are essentially what I'll ask clients. And if your financial advisor is not asking you those things, then get a new financial advisor because mm-hmm. they're just going to recommend the hottest stock and that's not going to benefit you in the long yeah, run. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't don't ask about the why, like what your why is behind your your financial goals. So that's that's great. So when when people come to you when you talk about like savings and it's kind of a topic and something that we learn from our parents, like we oh you got to save 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 for the future. Um, I guess what has your mindset shifted towards instead of maybe possibly you know putting your money into an actual savings or do you recommend something that's like hey you know six to twelve months of like kind of an emergency fund or three months or whatever it is. What do you kind of suggest? for that initial savings portion. Right. So yeah, when growing up, my father always said cash is king. And that's not necessarily true because Mm -hmm. you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you're not taking advantage of interest rates and different investments. So for those starting, what I say is figure out, you know, kind of your baseline. For me, it's three months of my expenses. That's because there is a such thing as saving too much because we want Mm -hmm. your money to work Mm -hmm. for you. So saving three months of your expenses, if that's, you know, $3,000 a month, then you're going to have $9,000 in savings. Everything else, that's where those goals come into play. If you're saying, hey, I want my money to grow, um, you may want to have a more aggressive account that's long term. Or what I also do is I also save in an investment account. So I have my liquid, my liquidity, right, with those three months of expenses for emergencies. Anything happens, I got nine grand on deck. And that's just, you know, if I'm spending three grand a month, it's different for everyone depending on your spending habits. But essentially, baseline, three months of living expenses, that's liquidity. If you still want to save more, you can save in investments. And that just comes down to your risk tolerance. You mm-hmm. can save in money market mutual funds, right? Those things that are not as volatile or not taking big hits in the market. You can diversify it so that you're saving in different types of bonds, uh, bond funds. And so that's really, that's really what I would advise. And mm-hmm. then again, addressing those goals. If you're saying, okay, I want to put my kid through you know, school, then opening up a 529 plan because that's tax deferred. And then after you have three months of savings, I think next is retirement because retirement, no matter if you're 21 or if you're 60, we're thinking about retirement because we know social security is may not, may not be there mm-hmm. <laughs> to the extent that we need it to. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure we're allocating a certain amount 
to retirement. And then there's strategic ways you can do that. Well, what, what's kind of the update on something like social security? So like my again, my parents, same kind of mentality as well. It's like, oh, you, you know, uh, save for social security or put towards social security. And I'm just like, I don't know if it'll be around in, you know, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. Uh, what is kind of the true, and maybe that's a figure that I'm way off. I don't really know. That's just something that, that I've heard, uh, you know, in the past or um, when I kind of study up on it a little bit, how does, how does that affect or really is that is that true or is that a, a complete myth that it may not be around by the time we're at that point and you and i are yeah, what, I, you're in your mid 30 you know early 30s oh, I'm not to on, give it away oh, I know. <laughs> relax here I'm i mean young. we have to be about the same age <laughs> but it all depends on when you want to retire but mm-hmm. actually everybody can go into um, ssi.gov and figure out based on if they want to retire today and they can put those figures in to say okay if i retire at this age how much does that actually transpire into income? Because it's based Mm, off of working years, right? How much you worked, also your income. There's a bunch of factors that come into play, but in actuality and reality, we don't know if it's gonna be there 40 years from now. So we shouldn't rely on that. We should say, okay, what am I putting away now so I can benefit later to have that lifestyle? And that also plays a factor, right? If Mm. I wanna, you know, have, 80 grand in retirement uh, a year, then I'm going to be saving at a different rate than somebody who's comfortable with $50,000 in retirement. Mm -hmm. So you have to, that's something I walk with my walk through with my clients or did um, Mm -hmm. when we had those conversations. So assessing how much income you want to retire, when do you want to retire? Because based on when you want to retire, if it's 62 or 67, there's going to be a big difference on how much social security you can get as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so saving for retirement is huge and there's different ways that you can do that. First and foremost, if your company offers a 401k, contribute to it. And I'll just break down what a 401k is yeah, absolutely. Uh, to, the, to the most, to the most, um, basic level, because I don't think a lot of people know that it's there, but they don't know the ins and outs of it. So Mm -hmm. a 401k is a retirement plan that essentially your employer has as a benefit to you. Now, typically a job says, Hey, we really love you. We want you to come work for us. And as a benefit, we're going to have this great 401k package, meaning if you contribute 5% of your paycheck to this, every company's different, but let's say, for example, Mm -hmm. if you contribute 5% of your paycheck, um, then we're going to match that contribution and give you 5%. Mm-hmm. So it's free money that, you know, that essentially that you're leaving out. So mm-hmm. they're going to match you. And then in the event that you need to borrow from your 401k, you can do that. Or in the event that you leave your company as, as life happens, you would then have a few options. And this um, is money that's already taxed. Is that correct? So it depends. So there's traditional um, there's a traditional 401k and then there's a Roth 401k traditional is pre-taxed. So the benefit there is let's say I make $80,000 a year and the maximum that I can contribute that anyone can contribute to a 401k is 20,500. So if I make 80,000 and I contribute 20,000 to my 401k, when tax season comes around to my traditional 401k, I'm only going to be taxed for 60,000 in Mm -hmm. income. So there's the benefit there. Now, if you say, Hey, I expect to be very wealthy later down the road, I may want to pay for my taxes now. And that's a Roth 401k. 
Mm, so that's okay. after tax dollars. So there's some benefit for, you know, you're saving on taxes now. Now there's two things that are guaranteed in life, death and taxes. So mm-hmm. eventually, mm-hmm. <laughs> eventually when you're 72 and a half, you're going to be required to take a minimum distribution from that old 401k or IRA, and then you'll pay taxes then. So later in life. So yeah, okay. it's pre-tax now, but you're going to pay for it later. And then Roth, if you pay for it now, then you don't have to worry about being taxed later. Okay. So and so it, there. for the entrepreneurs, because we, we have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs, self-employed, uh, does that, does that, um, do they have the same opportunity as, as far as a 401k? Do they have the same access to that? Because you said, you know, your employer. So for an entrepreneur, is it different? And what do you recommend? Okay. So if you're self-employed, you're going to look into KEO plans. KEO plans are going to give you the biggest tax deduction, biggest contribution rates um, for our self-employed individuals. Um, it's better than a, it's because 401k, when you're self-employed, you don't necessarily get access to that. So that's something that I can recommend. Mm-hmm. I believe the contribution limits at the moment are 58,000 or percentage of your overall income. And actually, let's see, I'm going to give you misinformation, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Mm-hmm. The limits just change. Um, so for 2021, it was 58000 For this year, now 2022, it's 61000 or up to 25% of your compensation. So that is going to be the biggest advantage for those self-employed individuals who are looking to have those tax breaks and then also to save for their, you know, for their own retirement purposes. Okay. So again, is that... Is that the pre-tax money that we're talking about? That's kind of their part of their gross. It is their pre-tax funds. Yes. Okay. And what, what have you seen as far as that, uh, as far as a return, like what can people kind of, kind of expect? Is it higher or, or lower than a traditional like 401k plan that, that some big company would offer their employees or is it a little bit more lucrative? As, are you are you saying as far as returns are? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it depends on how you invest, right? Because typically with a Kia plan or a SEP IRA, you're going to invest similar to, you know, again, you're going to go over those risk tolerance. If you're an aggressive, it's going to vary. If you're, you can invest in individual stocks with SEP IRAs, right? So you can be as aggressive or conservative as you'd like to be. It all depends on those individual investments. But if you're a self-employed individual, I recommend, yeah, having a financial advisor and a CPA so they can look at what is the most tax tax benefit here um, for you. So it all depends on how you have it allocated. Um, again, are you investing in individual stocks? Are you investing in mutual funds? And then what type of mutual funds are you investing in? So it goes on and on and on. But everybody's different. Someone who's going to be um, younger, they're going to typically be more aggressive because they have a longer time horizon with their funds being in the market. So you know, if I'm 30, I'm going to invest differently than if I were 60. Because mm-hmm. as you get closer to actually utilizing those funds, you want to start to be conservative. And so that's something that it's going to vary. Yeah. And have you seen kind of a, a difference in maybe, uh, you know, difference in age when people come to you and say, hey, like, I, I would rather, I'd rather you just kind of manage my money in a mutual fund as opposed to me, like myself, trying to pick whatever stocks uh, or ETF or ETFs, whatever it is. Um, 
what do you see when you, when you talk to most people, are they kind of on the fence of like, Hey, I rather, I don't know enough about this. Cause that was kind of me when I started, like uh, my guy, he just, it's mostly mutual funds and I'd rather someone manage it. Who's kind of an expert in it, as opposed to me just kind of like guessing essentially um, I'd rather mm-hmm. have somebody do that. So I guess, how, how would you answer someone's question that says, Hey, like, should I go into more mutual funds? Should I diversify or should I kind of head the stock route where I can actually see, um, you know, what I'm doing right in front of me. Right. So I always advise if you're not in the finance world, hire, it's, it pays to have someone who is proven, has a proven track record mm-hmm. and they have the energy and the time to actually focus on your portfolio. Because if you're out here a chemical engineer, how often are you going to know what the, <laughs> what the market and the mm-hmm. outlook is going to be or pay mm-hmm. attention to those different things and then making those changes within your portfolio? Probably not a lot of the time, but uh, I do have some clients who say, hey, I want you to manage a portion of my portfolio. And then I want to have my own individual brokerage account that I can play around with. That's what I would advise. I said, hey, let me manage the bulk of your funds or your retirement plan. And if you feel confident and then going and choosing individual stocks on your own, yeah, it doesn't have to be either or. It could be both, right? But it all depends on that person, how much time, if you want to just you know, play around with it, have your individual brokerage account. If you want someone to say, hey, I need a strategy here, because again, it's not always about performance, especially if you have different goals. So if you're planning, like right now is huge for homeowners or someone who's looking to purchase mm-hmm. for a home, mm-hmm. if they're saving for a down payment and they know they're going to you know, use some funds within the next year or two, they may not want to be in a very aggressive uh, portfolio because they're going to liquidate that soon. So then it comes back to, okay, how can I utilize professionals to help me make those smart decisions? And then there's even aspects where if you, you can use um, the funds in your account to borrow against. And so we're going to come up with those strategies to essentially make your money work for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I and it varies age by age, but I, I tend to see that the younger somewhat are because we just have so much access to the internet now and mm-hmm. then different, you know, now there's crypto, for example, which is fairly new over the past 15 years. Um, so some people want to dabble in that industry, mm-hmm. but for traditional, I think a lot of people are comfortable using an advisor um, and paying them a flat rate. If it's a managed account, it's going to be a flat fee. Each one is different. I typically would say, don't go to someone that's over 2%. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I think there I was just going to ask you what kind of the range is. 2%. On that. Yeah. It depends if you're getting a holistic support approach and there's, you know, a CPA that they have there and there's um, a CFP, a certified financial planner or a certified public accountant, and they bring all of that to the table. Okay. Then they may be worth that two, two and a half, you know, but if you're just talking to an advisor and all of my peers are going to hate me, but I'm just saying if it's over 2%, mm-hmm. look somewhere else, because I know some great people who are doing it at one and a half or mm-hmm. 1% and they're going to give you that full that full uh white glove service yeah so well explain that fee what what does that typically include um and how does it get taken out is it only from gains do you get not penalized but do you lose when your client loses or is it only on on the positive gain sure so there are typically in essence two types of accounts there are those who are your stockbroker and you have individual stocks or just individual mutual funds and you only pay them when you're making trades on the account and those are commission based. 
right? So if I were an advisor, you call me, hey, Elena, I want to buy, you know, 300 shares of Moderna. Um, and they don't have an advisory account with me, then I'm only going to charge them for that trade. So it's transactional, only commission. Now, most of my clients, I would say 90% of my, my clients are on an advisory um, fee. So I charge them one and a half, right? One and a quarter. And how that happens is I have skin in the game. So it's 1%. Let's just use 1% as an example. Mm-hmm. It's 1% of assets under management. So if your portfolio goes up, 1%. If it goes down, 1%. So skin in the game there. So you kind of like for your advisors to have some incentive for your portfolio to do Mm -hmm. better. Because if I just made 37% annually off this portfolio, that that portfolio went up and I just gave myself a raise, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome, Mm -hmm. for sure. What are your thoughts on people that kind of, you know, you you kind of brought it up right there and it's something that, you know, I've done before and it it can be risky and it's kind of, like you said, borrowing against your asset essentially. So um, explain to people like what exactly that is and maybe the best situations to do it. So I'll just for my, for myself, you know, with, with my mutual fund and and my portfolio, um, I essentially like borrowed half, almost half of it uh, for a down payment on an asset. Uh, mm-hmm. for a house. And so, but people, when I, when I talk about it, it's like, I got it for a really cheap rate and it's actually pretty difficult for like, like brokers, lenders, uh, mortgage people to like decipher on, on that, on that source, because when they read the the documents, they, they don't understand it. Um, mm-hmm. what do you, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how would you, how would you take somebody through that, that process? Cause it is risky. It can be risky, especially depending on what you're invested in. Now, if you're if you're borrowing against a mutual fund that has some diversification, depending on what mutual fund, it's not going to be as risky as borrowing against the portfolio that's mostly one individual stock, right? So I think you have to take that into account. Now, I yeah, it is risky, but it can be beneficial. So mm-hmm. the the thing here is that you're using your your assets as collateral, right? So you don't have to go through all of this paperwork and this rigmarole for um, a house purchase or whatever type of lending because your assets are already there. Typically, you already have you already have that line of credit set up, and you're signing a check, and it's essentially cash. So I think this is beneficial for a few reasons, mm-hmm. especially if you have a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs, business owners. Using your assets so you're not depending on, you know, banks is fantastic. But the risk here is that if those funds go down, then now you're responsible because your collateral is no longer valuable. So just knowing that that's in mind and the interest rates are typically a lot better than personal loans. So I would say use this for, uh, use this for debt consolidation purposes. Mm -hmm. So if you have $40,000, in credit card debt, well, the average credit card is about 19% interest rate variable. Or you can just write a check, pay it off, and now you have 7% that you're using. So again, and then your money is still in the market growing at a 10%. So essentially, it's all working for you. And these people don't are the, understand that concept. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think a lot of people just, you know, again, I think investments in the finance industry is very new for even for a lot of people as me as a minority we didn't come up in wealth we never Mm -hmm. were exposed to this information Mm -hmm. it's almost like a secret world when you start getting into it you're Mm -hmm. like hold up 
I can use other people's money to make a profit and still keep a profit on my own. So that's one of the reasons why I got into finance because it should be common knowledge, but it's not. And I'll tell you, I'm well, big into I mean, financial that, literacy. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's kind of the big re- reason for this show. That's exactly it, is giving people an opportunity just to be educated on these kind of topics because they don't, they don't know. Um, even some people that are high, like really highly respected professionals that I know, doctors, lawyers, they don't, some of them don't even understand that. And again, it's just something that we weren't, that we weren't brought up to, you know? No, absolutely. And that comes back to, this is why professionals are great because your financial advisor should be advising you say, Hey, anything that has a dollar sign next to it, you should have a go-to person. Your financial advisor say, Hey, I'm thinking about purchasing a home. They're not a mortgage expert, but they'll say, Hey, great. I have somebody and they're going to tell you the best way you should do that to make sure you're maintaining your wealth. And so you want to make sure you're getting with an advisor who has a team behind them essentially, or a person that they can call and and advise on this. And that's going to be essentially the best advisor to choose from people who know the full scope. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's, let's get into this transition. I won't keep you too much longer. Um, So you got some big news. I mean, you were in North Carolina. Yes. So, okay. Uh Yeah. So, so I'm still in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Um, Chicago's home though, but I went to school in New Mexico. It's a, it's a, it's a lot there, but I loved finance and I got into it, uh, you know, almost a decade ago. And as you progress, you start working with ultra high net worth individuals. And I started to lose, not saying ultra high net worth individuals aren't fantastic. Mm-hmm. They can be, but I started to lose that fulfillment that I had when I was working, um, with people from all walks of life, because again, essentially I got into this, this field to help people and help them understand the ins and outs of the finance world, because there's no one there explaining that to to some of us. Um, at, At least it wasn't for me. So in conjunction with my finance background, I had to Um, participate in a lot of community service. So uh, a lot of people don't know this, but banks have to do what's called uh, community reinvestment acts. So they're obligated to do a certain amount of volunteering and and different things like that. So lucky for me, I love that. So I got into financial literacy within the within the public schools and kind of going to high schools and explaining the ins and outs, the basics, right? What is credit? How do you do your taxes? what is the difference between credit and debit and what is a credit score? So things that everyone should know, but that's not necessarily taught. So that financial literacy aspect of working with students really, you know, we got to link up on something. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so that financial literacy aspect. Serious. So that really gave me a passion to be an advocate for students. And I, and I love working with students. So to transition to my new role, I just accepted a new job, a new career industry where I'll be working in education tech. So ed tech for short. So awesome. I work for a startup now called Empowerly. And essentially we're providing college counseling services for our high school students. So the admissions process has changed drastically. And how do you make yourself competitive to get into the college of your choice? So those top 25, top 100 universities, what do you do to stand out outside of a good academic profile? And so I made that transition where now I'm working with parents and students and, and helping them and setting them up for that, for that success. And essentially, the more intentional you are, the more success you'll have. So it's fantastic. It's, it's up and so running. So you, you do kind of like... Uh 
kind of like court, like online courses, or is it more of like a one-on-one like mentorship? What, yes. what kind of things do you offer? So for me, I am not a counselor. Our mm-hmm. counselors are typically former admissions officers or um, are specialists. So they may be, you know, if, a, if someone's interested in pre-law, they may, be a, they may be matched with a counselor who's a lawyer or who already did that track. Um, or if they're interested in getting to Stanford, you'll be matched with someone who has a lot of experience getting students into Stanford or Ivy League schools or who are a former admissions officer. So my role is essentially have that initial consult with them and just ask them what their goals are. You know, where are you currently? Where would you like to be? And I'll see who I can get you the best, you know, who's going to help you get there the best way. Um, so essentially I'm the first point of contact awesome. and then they will have their individual counselor who has years and years of experience doing that. And then there's a lot of different other aspects, internships that we set them up with, uh, research scholar programs that we've partnered with, uh, AI programming internships that we've also partnered with. So really depending on the student, depending on their interests, depending on what school they're targeting, we're setting them up for success. Amazing. Congrats on that. That's big time. Completely different career change, but it's giving me that fulfillment that I was missing to the degree where I always loved students. I went to school for child development psychology and, um, yeah, coming back kind of to my roots, you know, so Absolutely. It's, it, it's amazing uh, coming to, back to, to your roots, but with all the experience <laughs> that you've gained in those other areas and fields, you know, yes, yes, yes. So it's been exciting. I've been working on a California time frame on the East coast. So yeah, it is, it's been brutal, but next mm-hmm. week I'll be back to back to my regular, regular. So, so can hours. other people throughout the whole country be able to contact you and, and be kind of just a part of the program? Yeah, absolutely. So okay. they yeah, we're we're located, we're all virtual, right? That's the way of the world now. We are all kind of adapted, but we're hundred percent virtual and our okay. counselors are actually worldwide. So we nice. have over over, you know, two hundred counselors and worldwide, and then we partner with startup internships in the Bay Area, but they're all virtual as well, um, to give that real world experience. So it's very exciting. Yeah. They can reach out to me to set up those consults. And essentially, you know, we want to make this accessible to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Because right now it is a paid service, but we want to make it accessible and start to give out those scholarships to Mm -hmm. those students who may not, who may not be able to afford it. Right. But Mm -hmm. they have fantastic grades and they're targeting Ivy league schools and they're starting nonprofits. Kids today are amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just had a consult and the students started a nonprofit in the ninth grade. And I said, oh my goodness. So the landscape has changed, it has. changed drastically it over has. the past 15 years since I was applying for schools. Give an idea about my age. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to call you out on there. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> All right. Well, so how, so how can people get a hold of you? We'll wrap up with that. That was amazing. Um, sure, what's the best yeah. way? Best way, you can email me, Elena at Empowerly, E-L-A-I-N-A at empowerly e-m-p-o-w-e-r-l-y dot com and then if you just want to follow me you know personally yeah (laughs) you gotta follow outside of the professional she's all over the place she's traveling the world over there (laughs) doing big things you gotta explore the world you gotta live you Um, you can follow you can follow me on my instagram which is laney l-a-i-n-y dot s-b-e-s-p-i so that's my instagram um or linkedin whichever you know you're more more comfortable with feel free yeah yeah awesome well thank you so much for your time you've been awesome yeah, oh absolutely. i'm glad yeah i'm glad to hear about all that and i think we could we could definitely link up on on some kind of project so 
Okay. What were you thinking? Is that to be determined? <laughs> it, to be determined for sure. We'll, we'll chat about that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice chatting with you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Talk with you soon.